If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew uh, chapter 6. I want to let you know in a few minutes I'm going to challenge you to flip the script on your entire financial world. And I'll explain what I mean uh, by that in a few minutes, but for now, I'll tell you it's not about how, it's just a matter of deciding that you're going to do it. I know so many people who've said, I finally did it. I finally did it, and I am so glad that I did. That I know that if you will take this one step financially, you will be so glad that you did. Now, if our money could talk and our money began to give us financial advice, I don't think any of us, for the most part, would be shocked at what our money would tell us. The shocking thing, I think, is the parallel between what our money would say if it could talk and what Jesus did say when he did talk. And as we saw last time, Jesus talked a whole lot more about money than he did about heaven. And perhaps he talked about money more than he did heaven because for most people, there is no money would be worse news than there is no heaven. And so perhaps he knew where our hearts were and he knew where our interest was. And so he leveraged what was most important to us to get our attention. And perhaps Jesus knew that money promises more than it can actually deliver. The promise being that as soon as you get a little bit more, I'll finally deliver, right? So if money could talk, it would tell us some things we already know. Last week, we looked at the first thing our money would tell us, and it's this. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the actual meaning of life. That money becomes most meaningful when you begin to view it and you begin to use it as a means to an end that isn't you. The thing that gives anything meaning is that it's a means to an end. That's what meaning actually means. So last week, I left you with this question to wrestle with, and the question was, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? I mean, do you want your life to be meaningful? Yes, well... To make your life meaningful, your life has to be a a means to an end that's not you, or else your life won't have any meaning, right? And when you begin to answer this question, your money will follow, and your money will be what it was intended to be all along, a means to an end that goes beyond you. Today, the second thing that our money could tell us, if it could talk, is simply this. Your self-control determines which one of us gets control. Your self-control determines which one of us gets control. Your money would tell you your self-control is actually going to determine which one of us gets control. And the financial pressure that many of us feel isn't about how much we make, it's about what we do with what we have. And in fact, the reason I know this is because the financial pressure that most of us feel would make absolutely no sense at all to over half the world's population. If we were to sit down with over half the world's population and explain how much money you make and how much pressure you feel, they'd look at you like you were crazy. Because compared to the rest of the world, we are so ridiculously well off, so ridiculously wealthy, but because we have no margin, we feel financial pressure that the world would look at us and say, you know, if I made that much money, I wouldn't feel any pressure. All my dreams would come true. So what we say is if I only had more money. But our money says if only you had more self-control. Because your self-control determines who or what gets control of your life. 
If your money could talk, it would tell you this. I'm a much better servant than I am a master because ultimately I will always go where you send me. Now, this is where the topic of faith and finances intersect. If you're a Christian, God will always nudge you in a certain direction. The Apostle Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul steps into the pages of history, as you know, someone who hated Christians, but then he became one. And he wrote these letters to Gentiles, uh, these non-Jews living around the Mediterranean rim in the first century. He planted a bunch of churches, and he talks about this tension that we all feel when it comes to self-control and our stuff. And he says to followers of Jesus in Galatians 5, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk in sync with the internal spirit. And what he means is is God will simply nudge your conscience that when you decide to follow Jesus, when you surrender your life to Christ, your conscience will change over time and things that never bothered you before will start to bother you because the Holy Spirit of God moves inside of you and through your conscience, he begins to nudge you. And here's the direction the Spirit of God will nudge you. Paul tells us the outcome in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and here's our word, self-control. The Holy Spirit is going to nudge you towards self-control in all things. And the reason he's going to nudge you towards self-control is because all of these things on this list, they war with our internal natural appetites including our appetite for more stuff and the security that comes with more money. And so we shouldn't be surprised that God who loves you and who's invited you to relate to him as your heavenly father would nudge us towards self-control. Why? Because he's a cosmic killjoy? Because he wants to take over and ruin our lives? No. Because God knows what you know. Nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. In fact, there's a lot of people who spent a lot of money wrestling trying to get free from an appetite, an appetite that baited them into something that they thought would just be a little pastime, that baited you into something that you thought would just be a little pastime. And when when it was too late, you discovered that it was a pathway to your appetite to control your life. And if anybody had asked you who's in control, Who's in control of your life? You would say, I am. But secretly, deep down inside, you would know, no, I'm not. Someone or something else has taken control. And if God loves you, then of course, he doesn't want you to be mastered by your appetites. And besides, if you're a Christian, you already have a master. In fact, if you missed part one of our series, I'd encourage you to to go online and to watch it or to, to listen to it. Because last week at the end of this extraordinary story that Jesus gave in Luke 16, Jesus swings back around and he makes this very familiar statement. Perhaps you've heard it before. Not only is it familiar, it's extraordinarily brilliant. In fact, I would say it's statements like this that after you begin to understand and unpack what Jesus is talking about, it's statements like these that make me believe the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record actual events and actual stories and actual teachings of Jesus because I don't think anyone could make this up. And even if they could, I don't think anyone would make this up. So here's what Jesus says. He says, by the way, 
while we're talking about masters and who's going to be your master and if it's going to be an appetite or if it's going to be something else. He says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. And the word master here in Greek, it's the word kurios, which is someone who's in charge of another person by virtue of ownership. In fact, it's usually translated in the New Testament as the word Lord. He says, you can't have two lords, you can't have two masters. And when we hear the term master, we think, well, not only do I not have two masters, I don't even have one master, to which God would say, we'll see. Jesus continues, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is the brilliant part of Jesus' teaching. Because if you've never heard this statement before, if you were to put a blank there and you were to look at the contrast, that you cannot serve both God and fill in the blank, virtually none of us would put the word money in there. You might be tempted to say, to put the word devil, you cannot serve both God and the devil, or you can't serve God and yourself, or you can't serve God and and something else. And Jesus says, hey, let's just be honest here. What this really comes down to in the real world is you can't serve God and stuff. You can't serve God and the pursuit of wealth. You can't pursue God and the pursuit of something that you think will make your life richer or more fuller if you have more of it. And here's what's interesting. Is Jesus viewed money along with the quest for more as the chief competitor for our hearts. That Jesus viewed your money and your quest for more as the chief competitor with him for your heart and for your devotion. His question to us would be something like this. Do you have money or does money have you? To which you may shrug and respond, it doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it to have me. I would like to have so much money that I struggle with it having me. I would like to be more materialistic. I'd like to have more options, you know, to see what I would do. I mean, come on, if wealth is a difficult task to pe- a difficult test to pass, then, then I'd at least like to sign up to take the test, right? If having too much money creates too much stress, well, I'd like to sign up and, and see how much stress I can really handle. So who's Jesus talking to here? I mean, is Jesus talking to rich people? Who's he talking to? Is it possible that Jesus is talking to a group of people who come home from work in the afternoon and they see three Amazon Prime boxes sitting on their front porch? And you pick them up and you look at them, you say, what, what's this? Who ordered this? Oh, I did. Oh, here, here we, I, I didn't even know. Is it possible that, that Jesus is talking to people who, who go to the mall and, what are you looking for? I haven't found it yet. But once you see it, then you feel like you got to have it and you didn't even know this thing existed beforehand, but now you're trying to figure out a way to buy it. And, and could God be talking to people like us? See, this is why Jesus was so brilliant. This, this was 2,000 years ago. He's talking to everyone. And here's why, because everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. Everybody is running the risk of making money the the ultimate pursuit or the, the ultimate pursuit of their stuff or their ultimate concern, which makes it their ultimate Lord. Now, here's something really odd that that I hope bothers you so much that you pay attention to the rest of the message. All right? Think about this. 
If you're a Christian, I want you to think about how much easier it is for you to trust Jesus with your sin. You pray, oh, dear Lord, I've done it again. God, I've messed up. God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Don't let him find out about it, okay? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Right? I mean, we do that. Or you're driving and you say, God, please help me to get home safely. God, please don't let there be blue lights behind me. I mean, you've never maybe ever prayed at any other time in your life, but when you screw up, when you sin, isn't it amazing how easy it is to take our sin and our failures to God? Isn't it amazing how easy it is to take our sorrows to God? You pray, God, I'm so lonely. God, I am so scared. God, I don't know what to do. God, my heart is so broken. God, I don't even know what words to bring to you. God, you, you heard what the doctor said. God, please, please don't let him die. God, God, please save my, my little girl. Isn't it amazing how quickly and how easily we bring our sorrows to God? In fact, most of you, like me, probably at some point in life, you gave your entire eternity to God. You prayed to God, you asked him to forgive you of your sins, you accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You you went public with that declaration in the waters of baptism, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you were joined in with the family of God. Isn't it amazing how quickly and how easily you've given your eternity to God? Isn't it interesting how hard it is to give your money and your stuff This is why Jesus was so smart. He said, come on, stop fooling around. Don't just tell me about your feelings. Don't just tell me about your thoughts. Don't tell me how much you love me. Show me. It's like Jesus was so smart, and and he never asked anyone for money. This isn't about him getting money. Do you know what this is about? This is about him getting you. So Jesus was clear. If you haven't surrendered what you have, you haven't really surrendered. If you haven't given him access to what you have, he doesn't have access to you. You've opted for the lesser master. And Jesus addresses this head on. He addresses this tension that that, that some of you are feeling right now. And he does so because he's so wise and he's so practical. Jesus addresses this tension in terms that we can all understand. He says, this isn't about either or, this is about priorities. And so Jesus, here in Matthew 6, he's still talking about money and possessions. This verse that I'm going to show you, again, it's so familiar, but but taken out of context, it can mean a hundred different things. But Jesus is still talking about money and possessions. And he says, so here's the way forward. If you want to get this right, if you really want me to be your Lord, if you don't want to be driven by your appetites, if if this whole self-control thing is eating your lunch, if you think too much about it, if you worry too much about it, then then here's the way forward. This is what he says in Matthew 6.33. But seek first. Seek first. The way forward, the key to keeping the pursuit of more or the concern over even having enough, the, the way to keep that out of the driver's seat of your life is to prioritize something else over it. So Jesus says, you want to get this right? Do you want to be free? 
You want to live a different kind of life? Did you want to have control over yourself so that your lack of self-control, especially in the area of finances, doesn't continue to get you in trouble or embarrass you? He says, here's my invitation. Seek first my Father's kingdom and my Father's righteousness. I want you to seek first my Father's kingdom, my Father's others first, me second kingdom. And I want you to seek his righteousness. And this isn't a religious word. This isn't a complicated word. If you don't know what this means, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and watch Jesus because Jesus was righteousness personified. And righteousness, it's not stand-apart holiness. Righteousness isn't, isn't praying all the right kind of prayers. Righteousness isn't walking around like, like you're holier than thou. Righteousness was Jesus in motion, Jesus in action. Jesus who courageously and fearlessly put others first. In fact, it's even better than that. Jesus who courageously and fearlessly put you first. He says, I want you to walk in that kind of kingdom. I want you to operate with that kind of priority system. I want you to decide something's got to go first, and he's inviting you into a world where you don't go first. And in the kingdom where you don't go first, you're going to find more peace, more joy, more purpose, more meaning. Because in my kingdom, you will be a means to an end that isn't you. So let me try to describe the scene. Jesus and his disciples, they're going to Jerusalem. And everywhere they go, there's crowds of people. That they're going to be, they're going to Jerusalem, and Jesus knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to die. And the guys behind them are arguing and they're talking, and one of them says, Hey, when when we get to Jerusalem, who's going to be number two and number three? Because we know Jesus is going to be number one. They think when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, they think that, that he's going to rip off his, his rabbi robe, that he's going to be Messiah. He's going to be king. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom, and, and whoever's closest to the king, then, then you get to be kingly. You get to be like a king, and, and they're only thinking in terms of, of right here, right now, empire and kingdom. And Jesus says, okay, guys, guys, time for a little conference. He sends all the, the other crowd away. He just sits the 12 down. And he says, okay, let's go over this one more time, guys. We've been over this. This is not the way of my kingdom. Do you want to be great? Do you want to be great in my kingdom? Matthew, do you want to be great? Yeah. It'd be great to be great. Hey, hey, John, do you want to be great? Yeah, I'd like to. Andrew, you want to be great? All you guys want to be great? Here's how great works in my kingdom. You have to serve everybody else and you have to serve each other. If you're willing to serve others, then you can be great in my kingdom. He then says to them, you know how it works in the kingdoms of this world, right? That the person at the top, the person with all of the resources, leverages their resources to get more resources. That the person with all the power leverages their power to get more power to the detriment of everybody else. You know how the kingdoms of this world work, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 we, we know how it works. Why do, you, why do you think we want to be number two and number three? We want to be at the top of the pyramid. And Jesus says, guys, look at me. Not so with you. 
because that's not the way it works in my Father's kingdom. You want to be great in my Father's kingdom, you flip the script and you serve. And then he finishes with this, and this shuts them down. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, come on, let's go. So they get to Jerusalem, and they have this final Passover meal, and there's so much drama, and all of a sudden, they're they're talking amongst themselves, and they say, hey, where'd Jesus go? And they look in the back of the room, and there's Jesus, and he's taking out his, his outer robe. He takes a towel, and he begins to wrap it around his waist. And they're like, oh, no, we, we forgot to get somebody to, to wash our feet. Man, we were, we were so busy thinking about how we're big shots now, how amazing this is. I mean, t- tomorrow's coronation day. It's going to be amazing when Jesus declares himself to be king right here at Passover. And now Jesus, the king, He's got a towel around his waist. And he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And they're freaking out. He's like, sit down, guys. Sit sit down, Peter. I'm going to wash your feet. It takes a long time to wash 12 dirty feet. And it was silent. He finishes. He puts back on his rabbinic robe. Nobody's saying a word. And he says to them, and he says to you and me, you call me teacher and Lord. There's that word. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's who I am. And now that your Lord has washed your feet, you are to wash one another's feet. And by doing this, I have left an example for you, because the servant is never greater than his master. I have flipped the script on the kingdoms of this world. And if you're going to be part of my kingdom, if you're going to seek first my kingdom, you are joining in others' first kingdom. Are you guys up for that? And they were. And the next day, they watched the king give his life for the subjects. And the world has never been the same. And so he says to you, join my kingdom join my world, join the way I see people, flip the script, others first. But others first isn't an exclusion of you. I mean, you got bills to pay, you got college tuition to figure out, you, you, you haven't had a job for three months, you just got a job, you got a ways to, to catch up. He, he understands all that. Look at what he says next, this is amazing. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And by the way, I I love you and all these things that you worry about, all these things that you fret about, all these things that you have to get done, all these things that have to be paid for, all of these things that you have to do to be able to survive in whatever century you live in. He said, and all these things will be given to you as well. This isn't either or. This is one and two. This is first and second because somebody's kingdom has to come first. And God your Father has invited you to an other's first kingdom. And here's what Jesus knew that that we all eventually figure out. When we put us first, we eventually come in last. And here's why, because when, when you put yourself first, you have a difficult time saying no to you, right? I mean, if you're first and it's all about your kingdom, it's hard to say no to you. 
And the problem is, eventually you're not mastered by you. Eventually you get mastered by an appetite or a bunch of appetites. And nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. And God doesn't want you to be either. And here's why. Because you're a created being. You were created to seek first your creator. And when this gets out of order, our lives become disordered. So so what do we do? The great news is Jesus already told us. We have to put something ahead of us. We we have to, to join in a practical, tangible, putting others first kind of way. We have to flip the script because this is the script that you and I were born into. It's called seek me first living, where I'm going to live and and I'm going to spend whatever I want on myself first, and then I'm going to save a little bit for my future second, and then if I have anything left over, I'll give it away. This is me first living with a little leftover giving, right? Welcome to average. You want to be an average person? Knock yourself out. Welcome to, to just like everybody else. Because this is what everybody else does. And if this is all there is to this life, then you might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. And you won't be concerned about your kids or your grandkids because you won't be around to be concerned. And all they'll have is unpleasant memories of you. Live it up and consume it all because it's all yours. But if Jesus is who we claim to be, then the wisest, smartest, most thoughtful thing you can do is to flip this script. So, in seek the first living, you give first, you save for your kingdom second, and then you live on whatever's left over. You prioritize someone or something over yourself. And this is measurable, tangible evidence that Jesus or someone or something else is Lord over your life other than you. Or to put it another way, telling your money to go is proof that your money ain't running the show. Or you say, money, get out of here. Money, go over here and help this person. Money, help these people over here. And money's like, but, but what about this? No, no, money, I, I, money, I'm in control. You're not in control. Money, you go over here. But, but what about this? No, no. But even more importantly, and, and the part that you won't really believe until you experience it, is that if you get this right, not only will it impact all of your finances. If you get this right, it will ultimately impact everything in your entire life, I promise. And ultimately, this will lead to a deeper, fuller, richer, more stronger faith and confidence in God. Because when you put him first in a tangible way, in a way that's measurable, in a way that initially feels like it's costing you something, when you know that he is truly my Lord because I'm saying no to me in order to say yes to him, everything begins to change and everything will ultimately follow. Jesus was so clear. The litmus test of our devotion to God is our willingness to put others first in the arena of our money and our possessions. So if you're not already doing this, what I want to do is I want to issue you a 90-day challenge. For, for the next 90 days or the next three months, okay? Not three weeks, not three days, not three paychecks. For the next 90 days, there's two parts to this. The first part 
I want you to choose a percentage of your income, and I want you to give it away as soon as you get paid. Okay, whether you're getting bonuses, commissions, hourly salary, whatever it is, I want you to pick a percentage, and I want you to pick a percentage that's going to be a step of faith for you. Now, I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you to make that a tithe, 10%, because that's what the, the Bible teaches. But, but if you're not ready for 10% yet, start somewhere that is a stretch for you. Don't do something like, like a half percent, because you're not going to feel that. Pick the percentage, and I want you to give it away first. And maybe you're saying, well, where do I give? You give to your local church. If Bachelor Creek is your church home, then give it here. But, but if you're visiting here or you're, you're watching online or you're listening on, on a podcast and, and you have a, have a different church home, then give it there. Give it to your church home. And don't wait to be asked. As soon as you get paid, as soon as the money gets in, you're going to take a percentage and you're going to always give it off the top. Now, the second part of this is just as important. In fact, it's more important because if you do this second part, you are going to learn something about yourself and it may open up your heart to the love that God has for you. The second part is this. I want you to pay attention to the internal conflict, the internal tension that this creates in you. In other words, when you start thinking about this, the, the battle that begins to take place inside of you, I want you to hit pause and I want you to think about what is this struggle about? I want you to, to pay attention and listen closely to those internal conversations, the, the ones that you're having with yourself, right? The, the ones that you're, you're preparing to have with your wife, the ones that you're already having with me because you're already arguing with me in your mind, and that's okay. I want you to pay attention, and here's why. Because I want you to discover what's at the center of your resistance. I want you to listen to the excuses that you're telling yourself. And then I want you to just give it away. And what you might discover is this, that this is not about money. This is about something else. You might discover this is exactly about what Jesus said it was about. Who or what is going to be the master and the Lord of your life? And if your money could talk, it would say, hey, remember, I'm a better servant than a master. So don't put me in control. Now, I, I told you last week that Tara and I, we made a decision when we got married that we were never going to live on 100% of what we brought in. And we've been doing this for long enough now that, that honestly, it's easy. And, and I can't imagine not living this way. And I'm so grateful that we do. And I know that some of you, you're raising your kids to live this way, and that's awesome. But that's what we're trying to teach our kids to do. And we're not doing this because we want the church to get our kids money. We're doing this because we don't want money to get our kids. And I want them to be free of the constant pursuit of more. I want them to be free from worrying about, is there going to be enough? I want them to be able to pray with a clear conscience, God, to the very best of my ability, I am seeking your kingdom first and my kingdom second. And I know that I can cast my cares on you because you care about me. Because I prioritize what you're doing in my community and what you're doing in my church and what you're doing in the world. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, one last thing. Don't kid yourself. Until Jesus is first in your finances, Jesus isn't first. You're not a follower, you're a user. 
Judas tried that. So once again, here's Jesus' words to us. No one. You can try. You can find out the hard way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, ugh. He's talking about that, do I, do I add another zero on there? He's talking about that, that tension. When you feel that tension, when you start wrestling, when you start having those conversations, when you start making those excuses, when you start talking yourself out of it, you have just entered the war zone that Jesus puts his finger on and what he invites us into. You are about to discover who and what is most important to you. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So friends, come on, 90 days, just 90 days. And then pay attention to what's going on on the inside. And perhaps you'll discover something about you that you didn't know before. And more importantly, perhaps for the first time in your life, you would make all of yourself available to God, seeking first the other's first kingdom that changed the world once and will continue to change the world to the extent that we live this way. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as Jesus told us in Matthew 6, that we would seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. God, I I pray that, that your spirit inside of us would loosen its grip, loosen our grip on money so that we can look at others first that we'll be able to to, to view our money as a better servant than it is a master, that we'd be able to to look at ways that we can help others and build up your kingdom and not our own. God, I pray that we would all commit to this, that that there are people here who have not taken this this challenge before to, to give off the top, to give that percentage away, that they would do that, and that, God, you would work in incredible ways in their heart. Because God, at the end, we know it's not about money. It's about you wanting to get our hearts. It's about you being the Lord of our life. And and if there's anybody here who's never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they choose you in your kingdom above everything else and they accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. God, may your kingdom be first in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.